Welcome to Tax Notes Talk, a podcast from Tax Notes, the leading source of tax news, information, and analysis. Welcome to the podcast. I'm David Stewart, Editor-in-Chief of Tax Notes Today International. This week, legislative update. With Congress coming back into session ahead of what is expected to be a contentious election year, this may be the last chance for substantive tax changes for a little while. Here to talk to us about what is on the agenda and what to expect are Tax Notes Today federal reporters Asha Glover and Jad Chamsadeen. Asha, Jad, welcome back to the podcast. Hi, David. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Shad, why don't we start with you and what we expect on the agenda this fall in the Senate? Well, there are issues piling up, and there's hope that some tax legislation will move. There's currently a retirement bill still pending before the Senate. Senators Ted Cruz of Texas and Pat Toomey from Pennsylvania have holds on the legislation, and so hopes have been dashed there. Now, you were previously on the podcast to talk about treaties, and there's still some out there. So are we expecting any movement on the remaining pending tax treaties? Yes, there is hope the three pending tax treaties with Poland, uh, Hungary, and Chile will get done this year. Chairman Risch told me earlier this year that he thinks that they're going to get done this year. But sources tell me that some of the urgency after having passed treaties with Luxembourg, Switzerland, Japan, and Spain earlier this session, some of the urgency doesn't exist to pass the pending tax treaties. All right, so that covers what we're expecting out of the Senate. What's going on in the House? There is some movement in the House on taxes, especially the Ways and Means Committee. Sources tell me there's going to be a hearing on energy tax credits, uh, some dealing with credits for electric cars. There is also hope that some technical corrections from the TCJA will be addressed. It's a priority for House Ways and Means uh, Chairman Richard Neal, but movement has been pretty slow on those. Now, it seems that every year we get to talk about extenders. Is there some activity on extenders this year? Yeah, those were passed in the House, uh, but are going nowhere in the Senate because they would raise the estate tax. And Senate Finance Chair Chuck Grassley told me it's dead on arrival in the Senate. The Senate has its own agenda. They created a task force to address the extenders and will be having a markup at some point on them. There were talks about possibly having this happen in September. It doesn't appear that they're going to cut any of the extenders. Have we learned anything new from this task force? Not so much. They did say a couple of extenders should be made permanent, in particular certain credits for the beer and wine industry, especially smaller producers. There's a couple of bills on those in the Senate and the House that have bipartisan support. Also, a credit for short-line railroads should be made permanent based on the reports. Now, I'm familiar with short-line railroads only in the context of monopoly. Can you tell me what those are? Yeah, basically, those are classified as Class 2 and Class 3 railroads, and they usually connect to larger railroads known as Class 1. There aren't many left. They're classified that way based on the amount of goods they haul. The smaller railroads generally connect smaller towns to the larger ones. A couple of bills also exist for those that would make the credit permanent. I spoke with the president of the American Short-Line Regional Railroad Association, Chuck Baker, who was happy about the report but still concerned that the extenders won't get done this year. Is there any sense of when extenders might possibly get done? There's some hope that they can stuff them into the spending bills that will need to be passed before September 30th, but lobbyists' hopes have been dashed. There was optimism at the beginning of the year that they'll be done before the August recess. I wouldn't bet on them getting done in September. So speaking of spending bills, Asha, uh, can you tell us a little bit about what's going on on appropriations? So before Congress left, President Trump signed into law legislation that would increase the debt limit and raise budget caps. There was some concern that Treasury could run out of money before Congress returns from their August recess. Getting that budget deal done mitigated that. 
issue. The measure didn't actually fund the government. Congress will still need to pass appropriations legislation for fiscal 2020 before the current fiscal year expires on September 30th. In the past Congress, we've seen that continuing resolutions are usually passed in the September period, and they kind of kick the can down the road and do a larger funding package in December. We will likely see that again when Congress will negotiate a longer-term package, and that could include some tax things. We've seen that in the past, you know, during the PATH Act. There have been quite a few times where we've passed some tax legislation during that period before they leave for the end of the year. The most recent continuing resolution or CR was passed in February, and that's the one that expires in September. That measure was passed to kind of be the final solution to the government shutdown at the beginning of the year. Now, are we expecting the continuing resolution to include anything on taxes? No. As Jazz said, Republican senators are interested in passing an extenders package. Before recess, Senate Republican Whip John Thune said that lawmakers are interested in putting forth a separate tax bill late in the year. That could include an extenders package and delays the repeals of some Affordable Care Act taxes, including the Cadillac tax on high-cost health care plans. It is also possible that some sort of tax title could be folded into a year-end omnibus appropriations bill. Like I said before, the solar industry has started urging Congress to pass multi-year extensions for the Section 48 and Section 25D solar investment credits before they begin phasing out at the beginning of 2020. Those credits were extended for five years under the PATH Act in 2015. Jad, recently President Trump said that he wants to start indexing capital gains to inflation. Have we heard anything from Congress on on this issue? This falls in the administration's wheelhouse, but there's definitely support among Republicans. Senator Cruz and several of his colleagues are urging Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin to do that, but Senate Finance Chair Chuck Grassley has not cast a support behind this issue, which says a lot. Democrats are also up in arms about this and say it would be another tax cut for the rich. And have we heard anything new about the President Trump's tax returns and efforts to get those in Congress? There has been slow activity there, as you would expect with any lawsuit. Currently, there are two lawsuits pending. The big one is the House Ways and Means Committee suing the Treasury Department to produce uh, Donald Trump's tax returns between 2013 and 2018. House lawyers just filed a motion for summary judgment and another motion to expedite the suit. The Ways and Means Committee held a closed-door meeting before recess that showed Congress can ask for the president's tax returns by looking at how the Joint Committee on Taxation got President Richard Nixon tax returns in the 70s while he was still president. Democrats want those returns before the next election, but this issue could reach the Supreme Court, and some say that it's it's unlikely to be resolved before November 2020. Neil has received flack for not doing things quicker, and he's generally reluctant to discuss this issue with reporters. Another suit is by Trump trying to prevent New York from producing his state tax returns if the Ways and Means Committee asks for them. Trump had a small victory there in that the judge said while he rules on the issue of jurisdiction in the case, New York can't produce the tax returns. But Neil, again, has been reluctant to ask them since it may hurt chances in the other court case. Now, turning to look a bit into the future with the 2020 election just a bit over a year away, where do things stand among the Democratic candidates? Well, we are starting pretty early this year. This has been a really busy year for Democratic presidential candidates. The third round of the Democratic debates are on September 12th and 13th at Texas Southern University, and the big names are still in the race. Senators Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, Kamala Harris, former Vice President Joe Biden, New York Mayor Bill de Blasio, former Housing and Urban Development Secretary Julian Castro. There are a lot more names still in the race. 
Andrew Yang, the founder of Venture for America, who proposed a value-added tax, which is really popular in Europe, to pay for his universal basic income program, is still in the race. His program would guarantee $1,000 per month for Americans over 18. As you would imagine, a lot of people are kind of excited about that. But we've also lost a couple of people. Five Democratic candidates have dropped out of the race this year, including House Representative Eric Swalwell, former Colorado Governor John Hickenlooper, and Washington Governor Jay Inslee. We've also seen some people enter the race, with former Illinois Representative Joe Walsh announcing his bid for the Republican nomination against President Trump. So what are some of the tax proposals that we're seeing from the candidates? A lot of what we're seeing are tax proposals that are targeted towards lower and middle income Americans. These proposals have basically been floated to pay for policies such as universal health care, moving towards 100 percent renewable energy and affordable housing. And a few people have put out tax center proposals. Mayor de Blasio offered a wide ranging tax plan that would require inheritances over one million to be taxed at normal income tax rates and restore the 30 percent corporate tax rate. As you know, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act lowered that tax rate to 21 percent. Something that's also rising in popularity is increasing the tax rate on capital gains. Julian Castro would increase the rate on capital gains to 40 percent for individuals earning 400000 or more annually. De Blasio would equal the tax rates of capital gains and ordinary income. And Vice President Biden wants to end the step up in basis to pay for community college. We're looking at quite a few plans that have those capital gains. But another thing that's been increasing in popularity is a wealth tax. We heard earlier in this year House member Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez floated a wealth tax, and a lot of the lawmakers in the Senate who are also running for president have kind of embraced that idea. So five senators in the race have supported the wealth tax to pay for universal health care. There's a proposal that's in the Senate that is supported by a number of senators, including Warren, Cory Booker, Harris, and Sanders. And there's another proposal from Warren who in January said that she would implement a wealth tax that would require Americans to pay a 2% tax on household net worth above $50 million and 3% on net worth above $1 billion. Now, turning to the issue of climate change, I understand that several candidates have come forward with some plans that involve tax policy. Yeah. A lot of the way that people want to pay for getting the U.S. to renewable energy is by creating some sort of tax. A lot of those taxes look at the fossil fuel industry. Bernie Sanders has a plan that will cost about $16.3 trillion over 15 years, and that would be funded in part by eliminating subsidies for the fossil fuel industry. He also said that his plan would bring in new income tax revenue because 20 million new jobs would be created to combat climate change. And he wants to increase taxes on high-income earners and corporations, which a lot of the presidential candidates have said that they want to do. Former Vice President Joe Biden's climate plan would cost $1.7 trillion over a decade and would be paid for by reversing parts of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. Well, all right. I guess we've got a full year of covering these various presidential plans ahead of us. I'm sure we'll have you back to talk about them a bit more. Asha, Jed, thanks for being here. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. And now, coming attractions. Each week, we preview commentary that will be appearing in the Tax Notes magazines. I'm joined by executive editor for commentary, Jasper Smith. Jasper, what will you have for us? Thanks, Dave. In Tax Notes Federal, five members of Evershed Sutherland discussed the final guilty regulations released in June. Monty Jackal highlights questions in the partnership tax arena that are ripe for guidance. In Tax Notes State, the newest installment of Noonan's Notes discusses New York's new apportionment rules. 
Jason Gajramsingh and Amanda Van discuss the challenges of current direct and indirect state and local tax data collection processes. And in Tax Notes International, H. David Rosenblum and Fadi Shaheen examine how corporate tax changes implemented by the TCJA interact with U.S. tax treaties. Also, Paul D'Alessandro Jr. outlines aspects of recent proposed regulations governing passive foreign investment companies. In our most up-to-date opinions page, Marty Sullivan discusses how tariffs affect the global economy and supply chains, while Joe Thorndike writes about the Social Security payroll tax and why cutting it was unthinkable for decades but is now a routine consideration. You can read all that and a lot more in the September 9th editions of Tax Notes Federal, State, and International. That's it for this week. You can follow me online at taxstew, that's S-T-E-W, If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for a future episode, you can email us at podcast at taxanalyst.org. And as always, if you like what we're doing here, please leave a rating or review wherever you download this podcast. We'll be back next week with another episode of Tax Notes Talk. Tax Notes Talk is a production of Tax Notes. You can learn more about us by visiting www.taxnotes.com backslash products. When major media wants the straight story, they turn to Tax Notes. Thank you for listening, and join us again for another edition of Tax Notes Talk. Tax Analyst Inc. does not provide tax advice or tax preparation services. Nothing in the podcast constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice. A full disclaimer is included in the transcript.